the people of God said, Amen. Join me in taking your Bibles and following along as I read our passage for this morning from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Follow along in your Bibles or on the screens up ahead. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing that? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. Well, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing? Untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, He went out to Bethany with the twelve. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people said, Amen. Philip Yancey is a well-known Christian author and also an editor at Christianity Today magazine and he writes that he grew up in a fundamentalist church and didn't, under, didn't observe the major events of, of Holy Week. For, for his family, it was mostly Christmas and then fast forward to Easter. He says he never attended anything like a Good Friday service. And he even shied away from crucifixes because he says, quote, they were too Catholic. He writes, the church I grew up in skipped the events of Holy Week in a rush to hear the symbol sounds of Easter. And perhaps your background or upbringing is not not much different than Yancey's, and sort of like me, uh, mostly we didn't observe all of the services through Holy Week. It was get to Easter. After all, that's when we celebrate the resurrection, and Jesus is risen. We can... We can certainly understand why that happens. Uh, actually, after, after all, the, the Holy Week is when Jesus experienced betrayal and death. After all, a sanctuary stripped bare for Good Friday is depressing, but a sanctuary filled with lilies, oh, that's beautiful. And uh, Philip, I'm very thankful that we don't use the Easter lilies because of all the pollen. 
uh, but rather we have flowers like tulips and daffodils and so forth here, and it'll be beautiful next Sunday. But who doesn't want to skip from Palm Sunday directly to Easter so that we can experience all of that that Easter brings? Yancey, though, says that he's learned down, he's learned to slow down and to allow the story to happen. He says he believes that the Bible slows down rather than speeds up when it gets to Holy Week. What the church, us, want to get through quickly, the Bible takes slowly. One Christian commentator went so far as to say that the Gospels are actually the record of Jesus' final week with extended introductions. I would invite you this week to go through the four Gospels and look at the amount of time spent on dealing with the final week of Jesus in Mark, the first, we believe, the first written gospel, and then Matthew, Luke, and John, and see how much time the writers devote to Palm Sunday through the resurrection. And you'll see that it's a significant amount of, of writing. And I encourage you to, to read through the stories of the Holy Week as you journey toward Easter. In just a matter of days, the Holy Week takes us from the mountain of festive palms to the mountain of Golgotha's despair. But we still would rather jump to Easter. Why do we do that? Why do I do that or want to do that? Skipping all the sacrifice and talk about the death and cross. What's wrong with moving directly to Easter and experiencing the joy and the bonnets and the Easter eggs and the family and the friends and the big meal that's prepared after and, of course, the empty tomb, which we understand means he is risen. Perhaps the answer is that an empty tomb is a lot easier with, to deal with than dying or a bleeding Savior on a cross. Add to add all the pain and suffering that happens during the Holy Week, and, well, we can understand why we would just rather skip directly from one parade to the other. As much as we would like to do that, or rather do that, or have the tendency to do that, we know that the only way to Easter is through the cross. The Holy Week is a time when we can meet Jesus in His time of preparation for His ultimate purpose, which was a journey that would, where He would willingly endure the fullness of the human experience, the suffering and rejection and even a cruel death on the cross. Jesus was not immune to struggle. He was not immune to the sting or the rejection that he experienced from friend and foe alike. He dealt with the entire human experience. He identifies with us. He dealt with the frustration of the disciples and the others who misunderstood his teachings and his purpose. He dealt with the agony of Gethsemane. He dealt with the, the betrayal and denial of those who were closest to him. And he even felt abandoned by God. And I know that if you've been a Christian long enough, you will identify with those feelings too. We know that God is always with us, but there are some times when circumstances in this life occur and we feel that everyone, including God, has abandoned us. And Jesus felt the same thing. Yet, God's final word to us in Christ Jesus is life, not death. Communion, not separation. 
And in order for us to have this life and communion and eternal oneness with God, Jesus willingly humbled himself and made himself nothing that we might have a savior. Jesus did not go from one parade to the other, but he knew that week he had a purpose. Jim Somerville, the pastor of Richmond's First Baptist Church, tells a story that helps us to see that purpose of Jesus. He takes us back to his English professor in college who grew up in North Carolina. His professor was a teenager during the time that World War II came about. And many of his professor's friends were already going out and volunteering and enlisting into the armed services. There was a contagious patriotism in our country at that time, and enlistment offices had long lines of young men and women who wanted to volunteer. But at the age of 17, Dr. Somerville's professor was too young to enlist in North Carolina, so he crossed over the state line into South Carolina and enlisted in the Navy. When the young man finally made it back home, His father was waiting in the back room, arms folded, and said, Where have you been? I enlisted in the Navy, Dad. Do you realize that is going to get you killed? And the young man said, Yes, sir. Thankfully, he lived to tell his story, but he knew his purpose in enlisting in the Navy to fight for his country. Jesus knew his purpose. He knew that as he entered that last week of his life, that he would die on the cross. He had been preparing his disciples for just a time such as this, and now they would Go and tell his story. Mark, the gospel writer, who we believe recorded Peter's first-hand account of his experiences with Jesus, tells us about, uh, on this Sunday, uh, more about going to get the cult than Jesus' actual experience that first day in the city of Jerusalem. If you look back with me at verses 1 through 7, you'll see that. They approached Jerusalem, came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent the two disciples ahead and and told them to go, and they will find a colt tied there, and what to do when they found it, and what to do if if they had been asked uh, why they were doing that and what was going on. They followed uh, through with all of that, and then uh, verse uh, uh, four, they, they went and, and found the colt just like it was, and they untied it, and they responded appropriately. And then verse six, as they answered, as Jesus had told them to, and then the people let them go. And verse seven, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat upon it. So out of the 11 verses, seven verses tell about the detail that Jesus uh, went to explain to his disciples what they were to do. And then just at the very end, it says he went to Jerusalem and he looked out over the city and it was late and then he went back with his disciples for the night. I I see this in the text because Jesus is helping his disciples to see that there were advanced preparations made, that Jesus was resolute in his purpose. He knew exactly what God was calling him to do.
the introduction, as simple as it is, tells us more about the nature of our Savior. It tells us about the way Jesus operated. It also reminds us that Jesus didn't own anything. He had to borrow a colt, the colt of a donkey. He had to borrow even that to go into the city for the last week of his life. You remember, it wasn't the first time that he borrowed something, was it? You remember that he borrowed a boat one day. Another day he borrowed a boy's lunch. The boat was to use as a platform for preaching. The lunch was to break and to feed the multitudes, to feed the many people who were hungry. And then after he died, the Son of Man even had to have a borrowed tomb. Such irony, the one through whom all things came into being himself had nothing. A king without so much as a colt, even to his name, without a denarius even to rent one. It is such a king who rides today toward Jerusalem, seated not on a proud Arabian horse, but on a borrowed little donkey, feet dangling down to the side. Meek and lowly he comes. He's he's coming in humility, without pomp, without ceremony, without even the slightest concern of his appearance. As you heard in the scripture read earlier, he humbled himself. He made himself nothing. He identified with all of the human experience. But the people were lined on the streets that day because they had come for the Passover feast. They would come to make sacrifices, to worship, to receive forgiveness. They would tell great stories of their past. They would anticipate a hopeful future. This is a festive time to be with old friends and relatives. They would sing and dance and feast together. And their overall theme was freedom. Remember, the Passover is a reminder of how God delivered the people from death and redeemed them from Egyptian slavery and brought them out and gave them a new land of promise. The overall theme was freedom. As their ancestors had been delivered from slavery and death, there was a hope for a time that these people would be freed from out under the oppression of the Roman Empire. There was a hope that a Messiah king, this Messiah um, would be a military king to deliver them once for all. It was this feeling of elation and Jewish nationalism that was in the air as Jesus slowly rode the colt on his way to Jerusalem. Perhaps they thought that this Messiah, this Jesus, would shatter and smash and break. Perhaps he would be the one to finally deliver us in a military kind of way. Imagine if you were one of the people there on the streets and you were all excited and got caught up in the emotions and before long... Uh, childlike excitement spreads and uh, one man takes off his coat and cloak and places it on the ground in front of Jesus and then another woman takes her shawl and then people are going over and pulling branches off of trees, perhaps palms as the Gospel of John tells us or olive trees or other uh, plants and maybe even flowers that they find alongside of the road and they're placing them in front of Jesus as he rides along this lonely road, at least for him, he knew that it was this lonely road toward Jerusalem. The people sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. All of this, and the people were caught up in this emotion. And then Mark just kind of leaves us hanging and says, Jesus entered Jerusalem And he looked around and went to the temple. But since it was already too late, he went back with the twelve 
for the evening. The songs of praise and nationalistic zeal that Jesus heard on that Palm Sunday would become shouts to crucify on Good Friday. And everything would change. That Jesus knew his purpose. To suffer and be rejected. And to die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, Jesus Christ must suffer and be rejected. This must is inherent in the promise of God, the scriptures to be fulfilled. There is a distinction here, he writes, between suffering and rejection. Had he only suffered, Jesus might have still been applauded as the Messiah the people had expected. All the sympathy and admiration of the world might have been focused on his passion. It could have been viewed as a tragedy with its own intrinsic value, dignity, and honor. But in the passion, Jesus is a rejected Messiah. His rejection robs the passion of its halo of glory. It must be a passion, must be a passion without honor. That he was betrayed, that he was disowned, that he was denied, that he was rejected. And we will see this as we move through the Holy Week on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and through Dark Saturday. We hope that you'll be here Thursday evening as we gather in our Family Life Center for the Last Supper, Passover, Seder meal. We will experience some of the very same foods that Jesus and his disciples would have eaten at the Passover meal. And we will worship together, and our choir will lead us. And then on Friday, we will be back here in this sanctuary to experience the fullness of of what Good Friday was about. Our journey to Easter will not go from parade to parade, but we will gather as God's people along the way. I want us to reflect on a few things as we, as we wrap up today. One is humility. The scripture in Philippians, Paul writes that we are to imitate Jesus, that we are to take on his nature, that we are to act like him. And I pray that God would help me be humble, that we would be humble people. Corey Ten Boom was a famous Christian whose testimony of suffering in the Nazi concentration camps and God's through, grace through it all touched millions of people. In a press conference one day following a ceremony where she was recognized, one of the reporters asked her if it was difficult remaining humble while, learning, while earning so much acclaim. And she replied immediately, quote, Young man, when Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments in the road and singing praises, do you think that for one moment it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of it was for him? She continued, If I can be the donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I give him all the praise and all the honor. May we reflect on how we might imitate Christ's humility as we go through this week, as we seek to be Easter people. A lot of people are going to be thinking about Easter because it's all around us. There are people who are not Christians who are observing Easter celebrations and there will be opportunities for us to talk about the true meaning of Easter. And I pray that our humility will enable those conversations 
to happen. And then a second thought for reflection. Hosanna means save us, Lord. Lord, save us. And so we might ask, save us from what? Yes, we understand salvation comes through Jesus Christ when a person confesses Jesus as Lord, believes in him with all their heart, and turns their life to him and is baptized and is seeking a way of discipleship and serving through the church. But what are other things Hosanna means to us? Save us, Lord. Save us from anger. Save me from my anger, Lord. Save me from my illness, Lord. Save me from the depression that I'm experiencing, Lord. Save me from the debts that are mounting up, Lord. As you heard from the Rawls' testimony earlier, that can be very, very difficult for families to go through. Lord, save me from the endless cycle of violence, Lord, that I see in our nation and in our world. Young people should not have to march all over our nation's capital and all over our nation because violence has happened in their schools. It is not right. And we ask God, save us from this violence and help us to be ones who can affect the changes that will come about to make our schools and our public places and our families safer to be. Save me from the questions that I have about why I exist and my purpose. Save me from bitterness, Lord. Save me from times of arrogance, Lord. Save me when I am lonely, Lord. Save me when I don't know exactly what my future holds. Help me to trust you. Help me to open my palms up and to be able to release the the things that I've been holding on to so that I can trust you with them and not live with that sense of control. And viewing Palm Sunday from this angle, we can begin to see that there is potential for some real depth in this celebration. For embedded in our quaint pageantry is an appeal to God that originates in the most vulnerable places inside of us. And it comes out and uh, to the surface and we are able to finally surrender to God. What are you holding on to? What do you need God to save you from? And then finally, what will we lay down before the Lord? The people lay down what they had, their precious garments. The women, their precious shawls. They took whatever they could get that was blooming or the branches that were on the side of the road and they laid them down before Jesus. What do we need to lay down before Jesus? What is it that might be holding us back from being right with God, right with other people? Can we seek to lay those down during this holy week as we worship together as God's people? Humility. How can I be humble? What do I need to be saved from? And what do I need to lay down? Reflect on those things as you journey through this holy week. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, thank you for being with us. Thank you for identifying with us. Thank you for taking on the fullness of, human, of, of humanity while at the same time being fully divine. Thank you that we have a God who truly understands the depths of the human predicament, our questions, our despair, our hurts, and also our hopes. Lord, 
May we not leap from parade to parade this week. May we slow down and journey with Jesus. Help us be humble as he was. Help us to name the things we are afraid of that we want to be saved from. And help us to lay down things that might be keeping us from walking with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.